let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for uh, life today. Lord, we thank you for health. We thank you for, uh, Lord, we, we woke up this morning to the reality that you are alive and well. And Lord, you, you reign and you rule from heaven. And um, Lord, there is no one like you. And um, Lord, your desire this morning and this day is that your kingdom, Lord, your kingdom would 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 move forward, would advance. And uh, Lord, that happens when we just <laughs> surrender a little bit more to you. And uh, Lord, that happens when we show up here and we uh, we purpose in our hearts to come and, and, and to worship you, to get our focus off of ourselves and to place it on you. And Lord, we know it also moves forward when people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus when they accept you Lord as their personal Lord and Savior, Savior and you welcome them into your family and we pray Lord that all of that would happen and Lord that you would receive glory for what happens not only in our church but every church in our country that is meeting and opening your word and worshiping you Lord, may your kingdom advance today. We love you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
that he's coming back again. Can you imagine all the earth singing his praises? That's what's going to happen, right, in the millennial reign. It's just one king and all, oh my goodness. Whew, are you awake now? All right, all right. Why don't you say good morning to someone around you and then have a seat.
Christ is my firm foundation The rock on which I stand When everything around me shaking
team <laughs> death has been defeated the grave has been defeated Satan has been defeated our king is coming <laughs> Lord we look forward to your return and uh, but until then may we just keep praising you keep worshiping you keep reminding ourselves that you are you're victorious Lord, and, and because you are, and because you're risen, we have that same hope and that same power. Lord, may, may our chins just be a little higher today. Lord, as we go throughout this week, um, Lord, may, the, may people just see something different in our countenance. Because the reality, the reality that you live on, in us is real. May that May that just live out this week. Lord, as we open your word now, Lord, may we receive it, all that you have for us. That's why we're here, to be brought along in our faith, Lord. Uh, we want to we look for your return. We don't want to be those that uh, hide in shame. We want to be ready. And Lord, part of that is just opening your word and hearing it being taught and receiving it and applying it and oh lord may we just be watchful and alert during these days have our eyes focused on you yours is on us may may our eyes be focused on you lord we love you thanks for what you're doing in this room continue to do that in jesus name amen amen all right now go a few rows down or a few rows up this time and greet someone different
Signups are now open for our upcoming baptism on Wednesday, November 16th. You can sign up online or on our church app. Hi, ladies. Our Christmas tea will be on Saturday, November 19th. Denise Alvada will be joining us as our speaker. Hi, Calvary ladies. My name is Denise Salvato from Calvary Vista, and I have the joy and privilege of coming to your annual Christmas tea this year. And I'm excited to share a message on the sweetness of Jesus and just talk about the reality of how he loved you and me so much that he willingly gave himself as a sacrifice. And we're told that it was a sweet fragrance unto God. So I'm looking forward to talking about that getting to meet you all and I hope you come invite your family invite your friends it'll be on Saturday morning November 19th at 11 a.m. so be sure to pick up your tickets today either I think it's in the office or at the resource center so I cannot wait to see you God bless you if you'd like to host a table please sign up now sign up on the app website or the resource center You guys excited about what's going on around here? I know that worship was amazing, wasn't it? It was great. Ah, I think there's an election coming up too as well. Didn't someone say this morning? I, I, get out and vote. Absolutely. And um, vote your biblical values. Amen? That's huge. If you need help with that or kind of understanding some of what's going on behind the candidates, um, or any other things we're voting on, uh, you can go to our website or any of our social media platforms and go to Truth Talks. And uh, we have Craig uh, Huey's election form there. Uh, we have, there's a few other things there uh, that you could, you could look at, comparing party platforms, what are their views, what are their positions in each candidate. Um, I would just start off by saying, are they pro-life? Amen? Amen. Um, that's that's pro-God. <laughs> And, and, and just kind of look at that. And we have a lot of good insight there on how important is Christian liberty. You guys enjoying this right now? You want? Okay, can we all stand? I, I think we got, a, we got an issue here this morning. Because I'm awake and you're not. <laughs> or I'm excited about something maybe and I've got to get you excited. Um, I don't want to get too much into this because we've got a lot to get through in our last Bible study in the book of Acts. But... I really think it's, uh, it's important uh, to look at what's happening not only in our nation, but what's happening in our world and ask ourselves, what is God doing about that through me, through us as a church? Amen? Isn't that a good thing to think about? Yeah. I could, I could, I could be the kind of Christian that comes to a church and leave all the serving and all the giving and all the praying and all this whatever else on everyone else's shoulders and be that 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 70 percent that just like give 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 I could be that as a Christian in the church I could be that as a Christian in this country let everyone else do the heavy lifting I'll reap the benefits of their praying and their serving and their giving and their all of that I think it's time to say how is God going to work through me and, and, and not just, I mean, elections are huge. You should be prayed up and informed. 
And you should get out and represent your Lord and Savior in that vote. You should. And if you don't, don't complain about nothing. If you don't, just keep it zipped. Now I got your attention. All right. Have a seat. All right. Acts chapter 28. We started this book, this study of the work of the Holy Spirit through men like Peter, then Paul specifically, and many others, in March of 2021. And we have been methodically walking through this book, really understanding what Jesus said he would build the church, what it was that he would build, and what he builds, he sustains. And it is a work of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you have enjoyed it as an individual and as a church. Uh, I know that it's, it's been very pivotal and leading and guiding us out of a, a very interesting season with the pandemic <clears throat> and all. But in chapter 28, we find ourselves now with the, the, the final journey of Paul the Apostle. He has, he has boarded a ship in chapter 27. Um, he, is, he is desiring to go to Rome. He has appealed to Caesar because he was falsely charged over the last couple of years. He has been um, under Roman uh, incarceration as he boards this ship with 276 other people. Part of the people on that ship are, are prisoners. Some of them are, are sailors. Um, some of them are, are, are just individuals managing the cargo and whatnot. And Paul is <clears throat> one of, of many prisoners as he is placed on that particular ship. We noted that as they, they began their voyage that, that they hit some unfavorable weather. And, and they, they pulled behind the shadow of the Isle of Crete. And, and Paul was like, as a prisoner, stood up. And just gave warning. He cared about the crew. He cared about his own life. He had been in a shipwreck three other times. He's like, hey, I kind of get a feeling about these things. I, I, I think we, didn't, we need to like, just stay right here. But um, the captain and some others, they all kind of made this consensus that it was safe to move on. And as they did, they would find themselves going, that was a really, really bad decision. They'd find themselves in a typhoon. And in the midst of that typhoon, Paul would be raised up. And if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the character of godly leaders, we brought up just a lot of different things that really stood out in Paul. That he, had, he was a man of compassion. He was a man of courage. He, he, even though he was a prisoner, there was something about his character. He was a man of character to where others observed him and listened to him. And, 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 and he had great discernment. And, and he was able to, to speak the right thing in the right setting at the right time. And, and in the midst of a crazy typhoon to where everybody thought they were going to lose their life, he was the one stable soul, the one stable voice, giving the much-needed direction that all 276 of them would, would need. And at, at the heart of that was, was, was Paul saying to these guys, Look, at don't lose heart. Well, what did he base that on? I just have a hunch. 
No, uh, in, 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 the, in the midst of that storm, he stood up and he goes, none of us are going to lose our lives because an angel of the Lord appeared to me. An angel of God to whom I belong, is how he said that, and to whom I serve stood before me and reminded me that I'm going to make it to Rome. I'm going to stand before Caesar. So take heart because I believe in God. And we drove that point home. How the world around us today that is very godless needs to see Christians who have a strong confidence in God. Not just when it's going good, man, but when, when the storms are coming um, our, our way. And so a couple of years earlier, when Paul was in a, a prison cell there in Caesarea by the sea, he was bummed out and the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, you've been faithful here. All along the way, you've been a faithful witness and I'm going to allow you to be a witness for me in Rome as well. So Paul held on to the, the promise of, of God's word. So, you know, Christians and Christian leaders, we're going to have courage through life's storms the same way Paul did. Number one, the anchor of God's presence. The anchor of knowing that I belong to him. And then the, the anchor of, of his word, the assurance of his word, the promises of his word. And so after a 14-night drift, they were 500 miles off of course. There was no sun. There was no stars. You guys remember the, the, the ship would run aground. Um, part of the crew tried to, you know, reach the dinghy and sneak away. And Paul's like, don't do that. <laughs> Uh, we need to stick together, but the ship would run aground, and all 276 of them would be um, driftwood themselves, but they would all be pushed in or swam in or, or, or kind of floating on the wreckage in towards the sands of the Isle of Malta there, and all of them made it um, safely to shore. And so when we come to the close of this book, I just... I think it's amazing that, that we, we're, we're looking at the life of Paul the Apostle. We look at his missionary journeys, and this is still part of all of that. And we see a man that refused to quit. We see a man that, that just would not lay down his sword. He would not back away from his calling. He refused to be overpowered by anyone or anything. Whether it was clear back in Acts chapter 13 when he and Barnabas were ran out of town by the Jews there in Antioch. Or in chapter 14 in Iconium where the Jews plotted to attack him and stone he and Barnabas. Or in, in chapter 14 in Lystra where they actually did stone Paul to where they thought he was dead. Or we moved to Acts 16 in Philippi where, where Paul and Silas were severely were beaten, or, or chapter 17 in Thessalonica when an angry mob formed and came against Paul and, and Silas to where they had to smuggle them out of the city. Or in Jerusalem where this whole life, couple of year fiasco began when an angry mob tried to kill him there on the Temple Mount. To this crazy storm, the fourth shipwreck he's been in but here he is standing on the other side of 
all of that. Standing on the other side of all of that. Ministering to others. So in verse 1, when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and, and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. So Malta is located about 58 miles south of Sicily. Um, it's a smaller island, about 17 miles long, about 9 miles um, wide. The descendants there were of uh, Phoenician descent. Um, the crew now arrives. Uh, they're all there in verse 3 when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. Notice what Paul is doing. A viper came out and because of the heat fastened onto his hand. Verse 4, when the natives saw that the creature was hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this guy must be a murderer. <laughs> and though he thought he would escape the sea, yet justice has finally come and is not, he's not going to live, man. But Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, um, they were expected that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they looked for a long time at him, they're staring at this guy. They saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds. And they, of course, said that he was a god. So right, right away, what do we see Paul the Apostle doing? He's gathering up wood. He's making a fire for others. He's focused on others. You know, a, a true leader, when you, a true servant, when you really get to that point as a servant of God, you, you, you get past yourself, and you get past yourself, and you get past yourself, because you just know it's right. That's our model. Jesus is our model. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for, for many there in Mark 11. So when you get past yourself enough, and you begin to, to see the benefits of serving others to the glory of God, you realize that the reward of a servant is the privilege to serve. And that's just what you do. It's just who you are. And, and, and that's, that's, that's Paul. He could have very much, at this particular point in time, after how God used him in saving the whole crew, he could have been like, hey, build me a throne, man. And they could have just been giving him the hero status. But that was not the case. He was modeling his master. Warren Wiersbe said, and I quote, No task is too small for the servant of God who has the mind of Christ. And Paul said in Philippians 2, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, you know, don't just be looking out for your own interest, but the interest of others. And then let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so Paul gets there, and I'm sure he's just, you know, this is what I do. And, and I just thank you, God, for bringing me through another shipwreck. And I'm just serving you. And as I'm serving you, an unexpected setback. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to say it. If you love snakes, I'm so sorry. I hate them. I just I don't like them. When I see them, I do the like girl thing. I don't like snakes. I just freak out over snakes. And every time I read this account, and I picture just this viper hanging off of Paul. I'm like, I am so glad that's you. I hope that's never me. I probably, you, I don't know about you, I'm going to be honest. If that happened to me and I was just trying to serve you guys and a snake just bit me, I'd be like, you've got to be kidding me. 
Anybody go there with God? Just me? Okay. And everybody around him, the natives knew that that was a, this is not good. They expected him to swell up and die. So it's not just some little, uh, oh, that, that was almost a bad thing. No, it was a bad thing. How does he respond? As I try and drill into our leaders around here, and, and my, my girls growing, raising three daughters, be a calming influence. Trust God enough in all circumstances to where you are a calming influence. God will use it. Because when everyone else is freaking out, they're going to listen to the person that's not. Trust God. Just trust God. And so, how many of you guys know that the enemy is not done with Paul either, right? <laughs> so the enemy would want nothing more than to destroy Paul at any time, any stage, any phase, any day, and destroy his ministry. And he would like to use anything he can to do just that. And as far as the enemy, understand in Revelation 12, 9, he's a deceiver. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he's our enemy. He's our destroyer. And a lot of commentators, as they, they write on this, they give the parallel to the snake, and they're like, this is just like Satan. And it is. He just wants to destroy. But understand... The power of Satan is limited. And he acts within the limits that are set by God. Corey Ten Poon said, and I quote, There are two forces at work in this world today. The unlimited power of God and the limited power of Satan. You know, there are situations that happen in our life. Storms. We see them brewing and we prepare ourselves. We weather the storm because we somewhat saw them brewing, the thing brewing, and we prepared ourselves. But then there are these things. Man, Satan is so clever. He's so deceptive, is he not? And I wasn't expecting that. And sometimes those are the times when he's most effective. And so we need to stand guard and stay alert, knowing that our adversary the enemy, he's like a roaring lion constantly seeking whom he may devour. Amen? So, Paul here shakes off the creature into the fire. However, they had expected that he would swell up and suddenly fall dead, but after they had looked for a long time, they saw no harm come to him. They they changed their minds. And I believe a couple of things were at work here. One, it was, wow, we, we really thought he was a, a bad guy. Man, a guy comes shipwrecked. The gods must not be in his favor. He must be a murderer if now a viper has, like, like the gods are really, in their little Phoenician minds, are really wanting to take him out. But they changed their mind. And I believe it was because of the, the supernatural touch of God upon Paul's life. God was not done with him. God will not be done with any of us. Listen, I'm not going to oversimplify this until he's done with us. Rest in that. Rest in that. And Paul had that confidence. And I believe that that, that was just like, wow, he didn't freak out like we all freaked out. 
And then we stood around knowing, well, he latched on. He had to have been bitten. And they knew the result of a viper's bite. He didn't swell up and he didn't die. Hmm. He must be a god, little g. Much like what happened to Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 14 there at Lystra when the crippled man was healed while they were speaking. And they're like, oh, the gods have come down to us. And they thought Barnabas was Zeus and Paul. They're like his Hermes and whatnot. And they're like, no, 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 no. We are not. We're just human beings. And they began to talk about the one true living God. But You know, you look at that and it's kind of interesting. Such are the reasonings of people who judge by appearance. Verse 7, in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was uh, Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. And Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Hmm. I'm sure Paul would have never written this script. What would have been like to be in in Antioch and say, all right, you know, two years ago. I'm under Roman authority now. I'm I'm incarcerated for two years. I'm appealing to Caesar, but it's going to be a while. What would it have been like for him to write a script that would have led to this kind of opportunity on an island that he probably thought he would never, ever set foot on. God had a plan. God had a a plan for, for people even here to witness who he is, his power, his might, to hear about his son. What was Paul's part? To remain faithful to his calling? To hold fast to the promises of God's word to stay strong in his convictions that God is with him and for him the God in whom he serves that God is able and to be a humble servant that's all we see here he's just making a fire for others he was simply displaying his faith and confidence in God when he was bitten and all of that drastically changed the natives' view of the Apostle Paul. Now the the, the leading citizen, uh, Publius here, probably the the governor of the island, is is opening up his house for, for Paul and all of his guys for like three days. And so during that time as Paul is there, the governor's father comes down with a fever. He has dysentery, which is like... An infection that sets in, in, in on, on a person's intestines, usually because of contaminated food or water. And, and the, the symptoms aren't, aren't fun. Fever and, and abdominal pain and cramps and a few other things we don't want to talk about in this room. But what does Paul do? Once again, he steps up. He puts his faith and his confidence in God on display. He goes into him. And he prays. As he prays, he's acknowledging his dependence on God. And he lays his hands on him, affirming that God was working through his life. And he was healed. 
we should always keep in mind that, that people are always watching us. And we should understand as well that because of that, God is going to give us some platforms and some opportunities. God is going to give us platforms and opportunities to glorify himself. The opportunities that God sets before us are going to require us to exercise faith. It's going to require us at times to step out of our comfort zones. I was thinking about this earlier in the week, and I I was just mindful to, God just took me back, and I have many things that come to my mind when I read things like this, but to a time we were walking through an outdoor mall early in this year, and, and, um, and I just saw a bunch of people running around, and, and um, as, as I went up, there was an elderly lady who had fallen. I gave an example of an older lady that fell in a restaurant in another, another state recently. Two different stories. But this particular one was a little bit interesting because there were a lot of people that were attending her. There was, there was some people from the restaurant. They had an outside seating area, and they had ran and got towels and ice, and, and they, were, they were tending to her, and there was a security guard that was there, and there was a couple of other people, and, and someone has had, had her phone, and, and they, were, they were doing her, their, their best to take care of her physical needs. And then someone brought out a chair, and they set her on a chair, and, and I could tell she was just frightened. And so as I kind of was standing there, um, my son-in-law checked her out as well, and, and, and he, you know, hey, she seems fine. I think the paramedics are on the way and everything. And as I stood there, everybody just kind of stood there, and they went as far as they could physically. And the Lord just, as the Lord commonly will do with us, the Lord's like, you need to step forward. I'll part the Red Sea. You just need to get to her and pray with her. Oh. And, and I still, it was a Sunday I've just been done teaching all day, and, and I still have to get out of my comfort zone. I'm walking around with whatever ice cream I had bought, a very healthy one, by the way. But uh, walking around, I'm taking my break. I gotta get, you follow me? I have to get through whatever I have to get through. You have to get through whatever you get, have to get through to, to honor those platforms that God gives us. Amen? Amen? And so as I got up to her, I kind of kneeled down next to her, and I says, what's your name? And she told me your name. And I, I says, would you be okay if I prayed with you? And she goes, well, I'm Jewish. And I go, great. We're related. I'm grafted in. And I just put my arm on her and just, I, that, that's what I did. And, and the favor that that gave me with her and everybody there was amazing. Whoever was on the phone with the daughter, they're like, you talk to her. The restaurant guy's like, here's the ice. Here's the, and I realized that there's just something about going deeper with people than, the, than society does. You follow me? There's just something about that. It's God-honoring, and I believe it's earth-shattering and human-captivating, if you will. It's like, wow, a person of faith. And I believe that we have a lot of those opportunities, and we need to seize those opportunities. In verse Nine, it says, so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Hmm. It's like when God begins to do a work, people want others to see that work. They bring their friends around and relatives around. I would say that that is his story, the history, 
his story of this church. Just picture God plopping down on the surf shop floor, a few surfers and skaters, and all I did, all I did, was what I'm doing right now. I'd open up God's Word. It was on a Tuesday night. I fed you pizza to get you here. But then we, 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 we opened God's Word, and then I played Christian music in the surf shop on a regular basis. I gave you Bible study tapes to listen to. I gave you little booklets that I was reading and stuff. And then I sat back and watched God change your life because that's what he'll do. And then before long, and we were closing Bible studies with, hey, who wants to accept the Lord? I do, bro. And all right. And I knew how to lead someone to the Lord. And I, I did that on a regular basis. And then they began to go out, tell their friends and their relatives. And before long, on a Tuesday night, there was a big long line of cars, just like you see here on a Sunday morning, if you get here on time. And, and the, the, the long line of cars where parents were dropping off their kids. And it freaked me out. I got here late today, by the way. I saw that. That's why I'm a little rushed. But, but that's the history of this church. It's the favor of God. It's people of God following the plan of God, being faithful to their calling, believing that God is with them, platforming his word, holding on to his promises, assuring others of who, who Jesus is, and then watching Jesus work. If the church in America just lived out these last two chapters in the book of Acts and modeled what Paul was, there wouldn't be enough buildings to, to hold the church. It takes faith. It takes courage. It takes yielding to Jesus as your Lord on your regular basis. There's all kinds of people that need his reach in your tomorrow. Amen? Amen. The question is, can he reach them through you? Is there, is there something he's going to be putting on your heart or your mind where it's just got to get out and you're going to work through whatever you know, your comfort zones are for God to speak through you, or do something through you to his glory. Well, that, while they were there, they honored them in many ways. And when we departed, <clears throat> they provided such things as is necessary. Now, Paul and the party will have been on Malta for three months. God graced them while they were there. We see this, and even when they're leaving... How amazing must that have been to go, man, everything we owned went down with that ship. But now God, whom we are serving, is working through our lives and gracing us. People are getting saved and people are having their lives changed. People are getting healed. And then when it's time to move on, they're, they're, they're giving us everything that we will need for our, our basic necessities. Luke doesn't mention all the details but I'm sure that this miracle of healing the governor's father and all of that favor that came led to many opportunities of Paul and, and of course, Luke, who's with him and others that are getting saved, um, witnessing. According to tradition, a church on the Isle of Malta was planted at this particular time with Publius, a man by the name of Publius, becoming the first pastor. Kind of fascinating. 
In verse 11, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island and landing at uh, Syracuse. We stayed there three days. From there, we circled around and reached uh, Refgium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli on the Bay of Modern Naples there, um, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome, and from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as a PI, uh, the PI Forum and Three Winds. And when uh, Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. So it looks like, man, we were on this, you know, Alexandrian ship. And I, I just so vividly remember as we boarded that ship, I looked at the, the, the figureheads that were carved on the bow. And <laughs> one was like to the sons of Zeus, the Casper, and the other one, Pulux known as the protectors of men on the sea. We're on this full pagan ship, is what he was saying. But then we put out, we went about 100 miles to Syracuse. According to tradition, Paul founded a church in that area as well during the three days that the ship stopped there. But eventually they end up in in Puteoli. They're They're in Naples. And from Naples, it would be about a 143 mile walk to Rome. About 40 miles outside of Rome, here in verse 15, the most wonderful, amazing thing began to happen. Christian brothers and sisters began to come out and greet the Apostle Paul there at Appii. Another 10 miles closer than at, at Three Inns. It's uh, a very popular place on the uh, Appian Way more Christians began to, to kind of show up in that market area. Word was out that Paul was finally here, and saints could not wait to meet this guy. His epistle had been written to them, had been circulated by them. In Romans chapter 1 He had said in verse 11, I long to see you in order that I might impart, you know, some spiritual gift to you that you might be established. In verse 15 of chapter 1, again, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you guys in Rome. Then in chapter 15, verse 23, he had said, I have had for many years a longing to come to you. Now he's meeting him. The welcome really encouraged him. No doubt Paul would have been mindful of the words that Jesus spoke to him in that prison cell in Caesarea two years earlier. Take courage. You will be a witness for me in Rome. Did he think about the angel's words in chapter 27, verse 23, I think it was, when he was on the ship and that said, you know, just reminding him that he would stand before Caesar. Maybe it was all of that that caused him to be grateful here, but then Thank God. God, you've got me here. Verse 16, now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. Remember, there was a centurion that was assigned to all the prisoners and whatnot. But at the first part of the journey, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself 
with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, they wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appear, excuse me, appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because of the hope of Israel. I am bound with this chain. So after being two years as a Roman prisoner in Roman custody, after a terrifying two-week-long storm at sea, after his fourth shipwreck, Paul is finally in Rome. When they get to Rome, Paul is allowed to live by himself with a, a, go, a soldier, a guard assigned to him, and this would be under, under uh, Roman tradition, this would be seen as house arrest. Think about how this would play out. Four times a day, Paul would be assigned a new Roman centurion. Each time that Roman centurion was assigned to Paul, he was assigned to a guy that never stopped talking about Jesus. All right? I just want you to know, as, we, as we're closing out the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit never stops working through the apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. Paul's going to be, you know, held under arrest. and He's going to write his prison epistles from this point forward. But one of the things he's going to say is that all of the saints, believers, greet you who are with me, especially those who are of Caesar's household. And many scholars camp out there and they're like, look, sometimes we just never know how far reaching the gospel might be or can be through us. Your neighbor, a family member, someone in, if you're, if, if you're still in school, someone in a classroom, someone in the workplace, you begin to just Share as God has like put them in your life for a purpose of knowing who he is, ultimately. I'm sure Paul had no idea that every time he was chained to one of these, these Roman guards, that somehow some of these Roman guards would be assigned in their circulation to others in Caesar's household, and that conversion would lead to further conver conversion that would lead to further conversion. But it, but it would get back to Paul that that was happening, that while he is in Roman custody, he is in, incarcerated there in Rome, he hears about this, and he's writing one of his four prison epistles to the church in Philippi, and he's like, I want you to know that people even in Caesar's own household are getting saved, and they want to say, hey, what's up? 
Now have you stand again. <laughs> I look at this world right now, and I'm having a bit of a tough time enjoying it. My heart's just heavy. And I just feel this rally cry in my heart. It's sobering. And I bring that, I bear that to you this morning as well. Do not miss out on this season. Do not be a bystander. I, I, I said the prayer, and I still pray. I read my Bible on here, Pastor Lance. Don't be missing out on your opportunity tomorrow or the day after that. After all of what Paul had been through, he only gave himself about three days to get situated here. When he finally makes it to, to Rome, he's got his house arrest. He's able to receive some, some visitors. And at the top of the list, they bring me the, the leading Jews of all of the synagogues. Hmm. And he brings them together. And as we look at these, this first setting, and he's talking to them. He's like, hey, there's, there's like three things I just want you to really think about. Number one, I'm not here to speak against Israel in any way, our nation, our traditions. I know you guys have heard all kinds of nonsense about me. I am not here to speak against Israel in any way. Number two, there's been some unjust, unfair, not truth statements about me. And it's, it's caused to my arrest. Am I being... Here today, I had appealed to Caesar and what, but, but all of that, I'm here just to like, I've appealed to him to clear my name. Number three, I want you to know that all of this is tied to something, and here he goes again. It's all tied to the hope of Israel. Because of the hope of Israel, I am bound with these chains. He just can't help himself. No matter what setting he's in, somehow he's going to look at that audience and he's going to read the audience. And we need to get really good at reading the room. Who's our audience? And we need to think about who they are and how, do they, how can they best relate to the message of the gospel. Here he has the leaders of the synagogues. These aren't believers. These are Jewish hierarchy that are overseeing synagogues in Rome. And he starts off by first and foremost... Let's let down the walls a little bit here. I'm not here to challenge the nation of Israel. I just want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm here to clear my name. But at the heart of this is the hope of Israel. And Paul has used that phrase a, a few times in the book of Acts. And each time he does, it's a reference to the conviction that he has that Jesus is the Messiah... And when he uses that phrase, the hope of Israel, referring to Jesus as the Messiah with a Jewish audience, he always ties that into as it is found in our scriptures. And he set him up. And surprisingly, the leaders respond somewhat mildly in verse 22 or 21. They said to him, we, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you nor have any of the brethren who've come reported or spoken any evil of you, but we desire to hear from you 
what you think concerning this sect. Hmm, speaking of Christianity. We know that it is spoken against everywhere. Now, this whole claim that, well, Paul, we really don't know anything about you, that's just an outright lie. <laughs> it just is. If you knew anything about the sect, about Christianity, you would have known about its popular leaders, for sure. That's what, you know, the, the headship of, of, of Judaism was all worked up about. Christianity had been known among the Jewish community for many years up until this point. And there had been such a division over Christianity, Christianity excuse me, that the emperor, emperor, I'm all tongue-tied, I'm so excited about this, the emperor Claudius banished all Christians from the city of Rome. It was just like this thing. And he even didn't know the difference between Jews and Christians, and part of that dealt with banishing Jews. So these guys knew all about it who Paul the Apostle was. Truth is, they wanted little to do with him or Christianity, and they wanted Caesar to, to take care of it. But, but, but Paul was, he was faithful to God. He, he had set the hook, and he's going to get what he wanted, which was another meeting where he could really get into the thick of his message. Verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day... Many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets, notice, from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some believed. So Paul here under house arrest is assigned like a specific day where he could receive guests. What does he do? Once again, he steps up and puts his faith and his confidence in God on display, and he starts a weekly home Bible study. The weekly home Bible studies that we have, <clears throat> they got to be on a specific night and start at a specific time, and they better end at a specific time. That was a joke. But for Paul, this went from morning till evening. And what did he do? Explain the kingdom of God and persuaded people to embrace the king of that kingdom. Explaining and revealing Christ out of the law and the prophets. Four times throughout the book of Acts, we honed in on the topic of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the realm in which God exists in complete authority. It is not just the future millennial reign of Jesus Christ that is yet to come. We're talking about the spiritual aspect of that kingdom. It is wherever his rule and reign is acknowledged in the hearts of believers. It is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 17. The kingdom of God is within you. If you are born again here this morning, raise your hand. Right on. You just saw the kingdom of God raise their hand. We are in the kingdom, and the kingdom is in us because the king rules and reigns over our life. So Paul was doing this on a regular basis. So once a week home study from morning till evening, some were persuaded and some were not. Verse 25, 
when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet of our father saying, and he quotes out of Isaiah there, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, which talks about the hardness of heart. It's a spiritual indictment against the nation of Israel whenever they harden their heart towards God or harden their heart towards His Word. I don't believe you would be here this morning if that was you. I believe you are here because you don't do that. Even if you're a non-believer, you've sat through 47 and a half minutes of me here or online, and you're still awake? And you're still kind of like, I'm tracking with you, dude. You have not hardened your heart towards God. You have not hardened your heart towards His Word. And the Holy Spirit's doing something in you. And if you're not saved, the ultimate goal for you today is the same ultimate goal for those who showed up at Paul's once a week home Bible study. And that was to get you into the kingdom of God. That is to get you lined up with the Son of God, to understand who He is and to give your life to Him. And for the rest of us that has done that, we come here to further line up our life with His life and to further line up our life with His Word. We're not turning our heart against God or harden our heart against God. We're, we're, we're open. And so what does it say there? These people, they, hearing you will not hear and shall not understand. Seeing you're not going to see and not perceive. Their, their hearts of these people have grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing. So uh, it, was, it was like a, a crazy indictment that Paul, it's like, all right, I'm noticing some of you guys aren't tracking with me right now. And he was just bold enough to go, you know, Isaiah, he said this would happen. And it's just, you know, he didn't take it personal. He didn't go, wow, I got empty seats here today. I can't believe the place isn't completely rocking and full. I can't believe some people are turning their heart against this. So I'm going to like back off or back down. That was not Paul the Apostle, man. He knew exactly what his calling was. He knew that God's word would not return void. He continued to go for it. And when people snubbed their nose at God or turned away or hardened their heart towards his word, he's like, all right, this is what the scripture says about y'all. And it's true. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation, verse 28, of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it and when he said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. He's like, man, I know what God's word says. In God's word, I want you to know his plan of salvation is for the non-Jew as well. To all you Jews out there who don't believe that. And so, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. From prison guards who were relieved every few hours to the countless numbers of people who would listen Paul continued to step up and put his faith and confidence in God on display as he shared Jesus with Rome.
During those two years, Paul would write Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. During that time, Timothy would come around. John Mark would come around. Luke was there. Aristarchus, Epaphras, Justice, even Demas, he would refer to in Colossians chapter 4. He also met Philemon's runaway slave, Onesimus. Epaphroditus would bring a gift to him from the Philippian church. Tychicus was Paul's mailman that would deliver the letters that he would write to the various churches. God continued to work in and through his life as he was under house arrest. Before pinning down his last words to Timothy in that second epistle, before he was martyred, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, Paul would say, I'm, I'm suffering as an evildoer, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. The word of God would continue to, to get out. So here we are 2,000 years later, and we're opening it up because a man was faithful to his God, and God was faithful to his men. That's the book of Acts. Amen? All right. Well, let's all stand. My daughter Kayla said last night, Dad, you going to make it through that chapter? I said, the first service was kind of slow. They're just slow with me, but we made it. Give yourselves a hand. 28 chapters. You did good. Christians are the largest voting bloc in America. 84% of pastors and church leaders and evangelicals, they'll vote very conservative. 25 to 30% of Christians are not registered to vote. 40 to 50% do not vote. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the freedom that we have here, a religious freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to assembly, freedom to open up your word and to proclaim your word outside of these four walls as well, freedom to live in a marriage that you have defined, free to raise up a family as you have defined, Freedom, Lord, to protect and to defend the life of the innocent. Freedom to stand with your people, the nation of, of Israel. And freedom to be a voice as we vote. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing country. Thank you for this amazing state. As dark and as dire as parts of this country and parts of this state are becoming. We stand with you this morning. And we turn to you and we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord, for the church that it would rise up and it would be a voice in this election. That we, across this land, would vote 
our biblical values. We pray for our leaders, Lord, those that don't know you, that they would find you. (laughs) We pray for those that do know you, that they would draw closer to you. We thank you for 30 years of being this Sunday morning church. We're excited about what you've done. You've been so faithful. And we look forward as we're now glancing over into the next year of what you will have and what is to come. And may you find many, may you find all of us faithful and available for what you have in mind for us and for this church moving forward. It's within your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. A lot of people have been asking me, where are we going from here? Because we finished up this book. We're going to heaven, number one. <laughs> yeah, but what, what book are we going into next? Not quite sure. We might finish up a little bit of First John. But next year, we're talking about... Um, we have now hit 30 years as a church. Has God been faithful or what? Okay? So we're doing this thing, meeting with some guys and praying through what's next. And so we're talking about addressing the future. What does the Bible say about the future of the world? What would be a good book to go through? Oh, you guys want to go through Revelation? All right. So then that, that's what we're going to focus on next year is what does God's word say about the world, the future of the world, right? But then we got to drill in, okay? What is God's future for you? That are, you're, you're Christian, number one, okay? Number, number two, for you that are a Christian marriage, and for the, you that are a Christian family, and I'm not, I don't know if I'm numbering it right, but anyway, somewhere we're getting to five, and then what is God's will for the church? And so we're working on 2023 equipping you, for all of that. What is your future as a Christian? What is your future as a Christian marriage, as a Christian family, and, and, and for the church? And we're going to address all of that in different settings because we see that the storm clouds aren't just brewing, they're on top of us. And we see it and we hear you and we feel for you. And we want to equip you specifically as you are going through this journey with Jesus in this very difficult world. Amen? Amen. All right. So be praying.